Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Friday, December 9th, heading into week 14 of the NFL season. This is the pump fake Jared Bailey with you as always, joined by Nick Filato. It's good to see you, my friend. Mike, by the way, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of guys with a lot of great hair and beards. You you might take the cake. Um, oh, you're wow. just, just fantastic here today. How are you? Jared, that is quite the compliment. Thank you so much for that. And I actually had a bigger beard about a week ago, but I cut it down, you know, looking a little bit slim. I'm doing fantastic. Ready to talk some football on Friday night with you, bud. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. You know, we've uh, you know been mutual follows for a while on Twitter. I've always appreciated your stuff. So it's good to finally do something with you. Um, it's got to be good for you as well, because uh, your your New York Giants um, are, are relevant, which is not something we've been able to say a lot over the past few years. But this has been uh, I mean, I'll ask you, I mean, in terms of being a fan of the team, uh, it's got to be, you know, just a revitalization of sorts for you. Revitalization is probably the the best word for it. Ever since I started covering the Giants, they've sucked. It's been really rough. I started covering this team during actually my first game, I guess, professionally was Daniel Jones's first start. So I'm kind of linked to Daniel Jones in that manner. And if you remember that game, it was week three of 2019. It was against Tampa Bay and he just balled out of his mind. I mean, Danny Dimes was born that day. And I, before I really got into the media side of things, I was doing like scouting things. Like during 2019, I interned for, for Phil Savage down at the senior bowl and Jim Nagy down there. So I actually was down there with Daniel Jones that year, but I did a lot of research on Daniel Jones. I knew the giants were interested in the quarterback. And I was really upset when the giants drafted this kid because I felt like he was a second round value. And I still kind of maintain that he is more than likely that that's his skill set. I think he's a respectable quarterback, but not one that I believe the Giants will more than likely resign and want to build around. But the Giants, as John Mara has said, has done everything in their power to screw that kid up from a variety of ways. Dave Gettleman and the, and the roster management before Joe Shane, it was pretty rough. If, if we're going to be if we're going to be real here, but in terms of the New York Giants, we came into this season with a clean slate, right? Mm-hmm. And Joe Shane steps in, Brian Dable. It's refreshing because the Joe Judge, Jason Garrett experiment, Jared, it did not work out. It was pretty. You don't say. No. Yes. Yes. We all say it over here. It was a was not a great situation last year, but we were excited about the season, but we didn't expect much. I think before the year, I had the Giants winning eight games, and a lot of people were like, "That's really odd." really optimistic. And I was like, look, it's not because I think the Giants are going to be good. It's because the Giants are playing the AFC South. Mm -hmm. The Giants are playing teams like Carolina and at the time Seattle, who happens to be a pretty good football team. Their schedule was pretty simple looking at it before the season. And I felt like the coaching has elevated this team. That's elevated this personnel. And they started out with a bang, but now it's starting to catch up to them. Teams know the tendencies. They're really injured, specifically on the defensive side of the football, because you have a team captain breaking his hand in Cabo. You have Brian Dable unexplicably putting a Dory Jackson as their partner. Dory Jackson, I mean, it's arguable. And I know this, I don't know, like, I don't watch every team in the NFL, but he might be like a top 15 cornerback in the NFL. He's had a fantastic season. I don't think that that's crazy to say. No, right? And then Richie James against Seattle fumbled the football twice, and it's a big reason why the Giants lost that game. So out of the bye week, Brian Dable opted to put a Dory Jackson back there. And the New York Giants media was like, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, look, it's the best football move. And what happens? He ends up getting hurt on a punt return. I think that was a his worst mistake by far so far as a coach. 
but I'm optimistic for the future with Joe Shane and and Brian Dable. I think that the Giants are in really good hands with this coaching staff, but next year is going to be totally different because we have no idea if Saquon Barkley will be back. I don't know if Daniel Jones will be back, and if he is, I'm sure it will be on a short-term deal where they can get out of it after a year. So there's still a lot of turnover, but it's it's – it's negative right now in Giants land, but relative to what we felt like in the beginning of the year, it, it should be positive because this team is actually finally winning football games. How do you feel about the following statement? Um, Derek Carr, Giants quarterback 2023. Derek Carr, Giants. I don't know. I haven't put much thought into Derek Carr as the quarterback. I, I like Derek Carr. I like what he's been able to do. I think he's tough. I think New York would would appreciate Derek Carr. I know he can galvanize a locker room and you wouldn't have to worry about any of his leadership qualities, but I haven't put much thought into that. As of right now, I think I'm in the camp if the Giants play themselves out of a top pick, which it already seems like they obviously have. Sure. And they don't decide to trade up or they don't want any of these young quarterbacks. I'm not opposed to the Giants giving Daniel Jones a, a deal that's like a year or two years possibly, and then they can get out of it and they could just have him play next season instead of bringing in a, a Derek Carr. Now, I, I would ideally want Joe Shane and Brian Dable to find their long-term guy so they can grow in this system around some of the other young talent that the Giants have. That's ideally what I want. And they already kind of have a contingency plan in place. They signed Tyrod Taylor to a two-year deal last year. So he's somebody that the Giants could look to to play next year. I'm not really all about that, but I think it's a more competent backup quarterback than the Giants have had in recent years. But the Derek Carr situation, I think that's a, an interesting one that we might we might pursue. But as we've talked about in Giants Nation over here among Giant fans, I don't think there's going to be a huge market for Daniel Jones. So he might be affordable. And if he's affordable, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing the kid back on a, like I said, a smaller deal. In terms of the rest of the season, um, the Giants, they've got Philadelphia, they host Philadelphia Sunday. Then they go to Washington, then a rematch of the, uh, the the tie game that we saw this past Sunday. And then to Minnesota, home for the Indianapolis Colts, and then they close out the year in Philadelphia, which, by the way, week 18. I, I do think that it's going to, in terms of the NFC playoff picture, the NFC wildcard in particular, it's so fascinating because the Giants, the Commanders, the Seahawks, they're all like interwoven in terms of uh, how they're going to shape out and who's going to get those final two wildcard spots. Seattle obviously beating uh, the Giants earlier on this season. Washington has beaten Philadelphia. So, I mean, if the Giants can get a win over the Eagles in one of these two games, uh, we don't know what seeding is going to look like for Week 18. If Philadelphia has it on lock and Gardner Minshew strolls out there for the Eagles, that's going to do the Giants a lot of favors. Um, But there's a lot that can happen. Uh, in these next few weeks. Um, and look, if all three teams end up with nine wins, well, guess what? You know, Washington and New York are both in, and that'll kick out Seattle because nine, seven, and one tops nine and eight. There's a lot that can happen. Um, in terms of their schedule, uh, how confident are you in the Giants being able to to lock down one of these wild card spots? I think they control their fate, but they controlled their fate before last week when they tied Washington at home yeah. and they had so many chances, Jarrett, to win that football. It was a frustrating game to watch. Like I'm I'm not I didn't have any rooting interest in it, but like as a 
if I was putting myself in the shoes of a Giants fan, I would have been punching air after that game. That that seemed frustrating as a Giants fan. I literally wrote in one of my articles at Big Blue View that they lost. I said it was a disappointing loss. They tied, but that's what it felt like. It felt like a loss. That's how bad it was just after the game, and especially after you review the tape and you just kind of go through all of the situations where the Giants shot themselves in the foot. But to your question... They control their fate. They need to beat Washington. I think you have to take advantage of the Jeff Saturday-led Colts. Now, the Week 18 game gets interesting because Philadelphia could have it locked up at that point. And a lot of it's going to ride on the Eagles and the Dallas game. Minnesota, how are they going to finish the season? Things of that nature. Minnesota, are they still uh, dogs right now to Detroit? Last time I checked, they were point-and-a-half dogs. It started off as one-point dogs. I think it's actually gone up in favor of Detroit. That's interesting. But... If you remember back to the 2020 season, Doug Peterson's last year with the Eagles, oh. the Giants, do you remember what happened? Uh, when he uh, pulled Jalen Hurts and, and for Nate Sudfeld? Yes. It's known around Giants fans as the Nate Sudfeld game because <laughs> you have a rookie quarterback, Jarrett, and you want to see this kid. He only played, I think, in five, maybe six games up until that point because Carson Wentz started the season. And he, Doug Peterson, decided to pull. Jalen Hurts and put Nate Sudfeld in there because he earned it. And in doing so, the Giants, who had already beaten Dallas and were going to make the playoffs if Washington lost, in doing so, Washington ended up winning the football game and the Giants did not end up going to the playoffs. Now, a 6-10 and 10 team, or yes, yeah, that's what they were, did not deserve to go to the playoffs that year. I get that. But there's a lot of, there's a sour nature in a lot of people's mouths right now because of that, even though it was a former coaching staff. So hopefully in week 18, that can benefit the Giants and they can squeak into one of these wild card spots if Philadelphia has the uh, first seed locked up, which it seems like they're well on their way there. I don't know how the Giants are going to be able to compete with them right now. I don't know who's going to guard AJ Brown. I, I I look at the secondary, it's very beat up. There's a lot of young players who are playing valiantly. They're, they're tough players, are coached well, but it's gonna be um, it's gonna be an interesting battle, I think, and I, I just don't know how the Giants are really going to successfully compete against them this week. And this is a home game, and it's really interesting too because if they do get one of these wild card spots, whether it be the six or the seven, I think Dallas probably has the five seed on lock. Um, but the six or the seven, whomever they play, I mean, it's a winnable game at this point because it looks like um, two and three in the NFC are going to be. San Francisco and Minnesota and whatever order you want to put them in. And if you're the Giants and you draw San Francisco, yeah, you got to play that great defense, but you're also playing Brock Purdy. And that's a defense, that's a quarterback that, I mean, we've seen how well the Giants defense has played spe specifically in the second half um, in most games this season. That's a, that's a game that they can win. And if you play Minnesota, a lot of people like Minnesota. I like Minnesota, but they're a team that can beat anybody. Minnesota can lose to anybody too. Um, so, I mean, you draw either one of those two teams, all of a sudden, if you're a Giants fan, you know, you go into wildcard weekend thinking, we, we can win this. And that those are going to be two matchups, regardless of whom they face, that would be very interesting. Yeah, they would need to figure themselves out up until that point to give me any confidence, which they would need to win games. And hopefully if they win games, they have figured themselves out, specifically on offense. They don't throw the ball downfield. Like, they're dead last in the league, I think, in air yards past 20 
yard on 20 yard passes. They rank last in explosive plays behind teams like the Steelers and the Rams. And then if you look at it through, you don't got to tell me about Kenny Pickett, my friend, don't, don't worry. (laughs) I'm sure you're well aware of being out there in Pittsburgh, right? But the giants just do not have an explosive offense. They don't have playmakers. They don't really trust Daniel Jones to sling it all that often. And also I think a a big reason why is because they have such a bad offensive line. Their interior offensive line is definitely an issue. A lot of pressure that is in Daniel Jones' face. They were able to generate offense off of play action, play action bootleg, play action slides during their winning streak. And a lot of teams underestimated how athletic Daniel Jones actually is. And that also opened up the rushing attack. Now the rushing attack isn't there. Saquon Barkley's been inefficient. And Daniel Jones' legs have been I would say eliminated off the boot action, but he's still doing a really good job extending plays on third downs when the B gap comes open in traditional pass type sets, which is another thing the Giants don't really do. They don't really run a lot of traditional sets. Yeah, I mean, their offense, I I do applaud Brian Dable for leaning into what Daniel Jones and his athleticism, his ability to run the ball. Um, And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people harped on coming into the year is that, okay, you know, Brian Dable and Joe Shen helped Buffalo become what they are today. And a lot of that was, okay, we've got this uber athletic quarterback who, yes, Josh Allen now has maybe the best arm in football. It wasn't always like that. And they are largely, you know, Brian Dable, especially, I think is, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for helping him refine that. When he got hired by the Giants, I think a lot of people were like, okay, this, you know, Daniel Jones can kind of be diet Josh Allen, just, (laughs) just have him run and utilize that. And I think that he's done a good job of doing that. However, you know, that does seem to be a double-edged sword where the passing game hasn't really been able to take off. It has not been able to take off. And it also sucks, man. Like Darius Slayton is our most dangerous weapon, not named Saquon Barkley on this team. Darius Slayton was like seventh on the depth chart in training camp. He was going to get cut if he didn't take a pay cut. And now he's back here and he's the deep threat and he's the most reliable receiving option. I mean, Wandell Robinson torn ACL, Sterling Shepard torn ACL, Kadarius Tony traded for a three and a six to Kansas City, Kenny Galladay, MIA. So it's just it's not a great situation from a receiving weapons standpoint. And it's been like that, I feel like, for at least a half decade now. Kenny Galladay is approaching like worse free agent signings in NFL history territory. Like that has been that contract is absurd. Yeah, it's it's not good. And a lot of people said so. And I think there's a lot of speculation that Dave Gettleman was kind of, I guess, just betting against himself almost or bidding against himself when he gave Kenny Galladay that that contract. And I understand, yeah, Jason Garrett's 1990s offense out there. You wanted a traditional X receiver that you could throw the football to. And Kenny Galladay fit that bill. But coming off the injuries that he was sustained back in Detroit on that final year, wasn't wise. And I think those injuries have really caught up to Kenny Galladay. And now he's in his head because he's dropping footballs. He was scratched last week because he was sick. So maybe he'll be active this week. I'm not really 100% certain quite yet. But it could go down as an Albert Hainsworth type of miss, only without the arrogance that Albert Hainsworth had. Giants plus seven this Sunday at home. You think they cover? Giants keep games close. And I wouldn't be shocked if they keep it close. But I think... In the third, fourth quarter, with the amount of injuries they have in the back end, no Xavier McKinney, no Dory Jackson, Leonard Williams isn't going to play in this game up front. I think the Eagles kind of, you know, end up putting on a decent show in the second half and blowing the Giants out a little bit. I mean, credit to Wink Martindale, though, because he has been arguably the best coordinator signing of this offseason. He's done a lot for that defense. Oh, yeah. uh, and I can't remember the the, the number 
Um, cause I talked about this coming into the year and why I thought that they were going to take a step forward, but they had, I want to say like nine games last year where they held opponents under 20 points, but Mike Glennon was the quarterback. So that, <laughs> that, that didn't exactly fare well for them, even when they were doing a good job defensively. So you know, the, the script has, has flipped a lot for the giants, but I do agree that there is, there's still a lot to prove, especially offensively for that team. But, you know, it's hard to do when you lose all your top weapons. Kenny Galladay, we already talked about uh, in terms of his contract. So, I will be intrigued to see not what they do for the not only what they do for the rest of the year, but especially in the offseason with a lot of questions in terms of Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, what they're, what they're going to do. It's going to be it's going to be a telling offseason for for this, you know, this new administration for the Giants. Absolutely. And I think we'll learn a lot once we get the those questions answered, specifically on Barkley and and uh, and Daniel Jones. And I mean, the Giants also got to resign Xavier McKinney soon. Dexter mm. Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, they have a lot of young homegrown talent that was actually selected, ironically enough, by Dave Gettleman that I feel like Joe Shane is going to want to bring back. Julian Love is another one the Giants drafted in the fourth round out of Notre Dame back in, I think, 2019, and he's just been playing very, very sound football. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens. I'm excited about the future, though. As you should be. I think that the, you know they found their guy in terms of Dable, Bringing in Wink Martindale was great, and this GM Joe Shen seems to have his stuff together. Rather than, you know, compared to Dave Gettleman, who a lot of people wanted to see paraded around Madison, uh, paraded around uh, the, the city, um, kind of like they do on. I think Kyle Brandt was the one who made the uh, talks about the Raiders doing it on. I can't remember what show, but you know, ringing the bell. Shame, shame. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, see, I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I'm sorry. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that's the exactly what it was. But yeah, no, Dave Gettleman, it was a, it was an ugly ending. And the Giants, they do the respectable thing and, and they allow him to retire instead of firing him. But there were a lot of people saying that he should have been let go a while, you know, before last season. Mara, he typically sticks with his guys. It's one of the best things I love the most about this Joe Shane hire is somebody outside the organization. Like this organization, the Giants, they're very conservative. They're very insular. You know, they're very homegrown type. So the fact that they were able to go outside of themselves and bring in somebody who wasn't necessarily familiar with the organization, I feel like ended up uh, or will end up going a long way. And I think the fact that Joe Shane has the recommendation of Bill Parcells probably didn't hurt either. I think that the Steelers and Giants have a lot in common. Um, in terms of, especially over the past two decades, you know, having the success of drafting both Ben and Eli in the, in the 2004 draft, both getting two Super Bowls. I just think that, um, you know, Pittsburgh had a little bit longer of a window with Ben than the Giants did with Eli. So we're kind of seeing the fallout, um, with Pittsburgh now compared to the Giants who kind of started that a few years ago. Um, but yeah, there two teams that are very, very similar in terms of, Pittsburgh's very conservative with, you know, how they hire as well. Omar Khan was hired from within, which by the way, Omar Khan has done a good job of being, you know, GM so far since Kevin Colbert stepped down. Um, but in terms of how Tomlin hires coaches, it's always, you know, you know, the Steeler way or whatever the hell he says. Um, it, it's always been, that's always been one of my gripes with the organization is that they don't take enough chances outside of, you know, the homegrown organizational talent. What's the, what's the word on Kenny Pickett? Yeah, my word or other people's word. I'll give you my opinion. Oh, I've, I've yeah. given it. I have said since they drafted him, if he went to East Carolina, they wouldn't have taken him. And uh, people push back and say, oh, the Steelers are one of the most, you know, respected, smartest, yada, yada, yada organizations in sports. They wouldn't do something like that for the narrative. Wouldn't they? Because they brought in TJ Watts, brother, brought in Cameron Hayward's brother. 
you don't think that they would, you know, look at, and plus Tomlin has said multiple times, you know, we shared a building with this guy for five years. We, if he wasn't there and didn't go to Pitt, and I think the Steelers fans would be a lot more honest with themselves as well if he didn't go to Pitt, that he's not that great. He's not, he doesn't look like he's getting better, which when he was inserted into the Jets game, I, I personally was like, okay, you know what? About time. Mitch wasn't doing anything. Get Kenny in there. You might as well see how he plays and he played okay. But since then, like there's just been no pop. Like there's nothing there to me that says, okay, they found the next guy. Um, and I understand that with, you know, rookie quarterbacks, you know, you, you tend to try to be patient, but you know, when you look at guys in recent crops, like bro looked fantastic almost immediately. Justin Herbert looked ungodly almost immediately. Patrick Mahomes looked really good almost immediately. Um, I don't see that with Kenny Pickett. He doesn't have a good downfield arm. He doesn't have a big arm whatsoever. I actually did a calculation today, and I'm glad that you asked about this because I looked okay. at I looked at his uh his next gen passing charts through every game that he's played in thus far. Um, he has gone. Let me find the tweet. From my count, passes longer than ten ten or more yards downfield. I counted 87 passes. He's gone 35 of 87, which is 40 percent completions, three touchdowns, six picks. Throwing, throwing more than 10 yards downfield. Hmm. I, I just don't see what the uh, allure of that is. So I don't know. It's hard. And people will point to Matt Canada being the offensive coordinator. But I've said, you know, two things can be true. Matt Canada isn't very good, but neither is Kenny Pickett. That's my take on it, at least. I feel like at least on my timeline, there's a lot of people who share similar sentiments. But just knowing fandom, I'm, I'm imagining there's probably a lot of Pittsburgh fans who would disagree with you. Oh, dude. So I was I was covering the preseason game, the preseason opener in Seattle. Um, when Kenny Pickett entered the game, you would have thought it was a playoff game. Like people were going out of their minds. And look, I get it. Like, you know, it's a preseason game. You know, it doesn't mean anything. He's making his debut with the team and he went he played there in college. I get it. But if he didn't go there, if he went to Ole Miss, I think people would be a lot more open about how actually frustrated with his play that they are. Um, and rookie mistakes are, are going to happen. I totally get that. But there's got to be a happy medium between, you know, oh, he's God or he's God awful. And I think right now he's somewhere a little bit above the ladder. Like, I don't think he's Jamarcus Russell, but I certainly don't think he's going to be, you know, an elite starting quarterback answer, you know, future of the franchise for the Steelers. I think that my, my selfish hope is that they stink next year and they can draft Caleb Williams. Um, but I think that's a lot of teams hope at this point. Yes. Yes. And I am certainly in that category. So that those are my hopes at least. And I shouldn't, I know that sounds like I'm rooting for him to be bad. It's, I guess I, I guess when you put it that way, I kind of am, but, but, um, you know, it's, it's a broader picture thing, right? Jared? Yeah, like, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yeah. You, you, I look at chiefs fans and chargers fans and fans of, of, of teams that have these really just unique talents at the quarterback position. And I think like, Hey, I, I could suck up one year of sucking. That's what, yes. I on my yes. team. I think I could do that. I mean, dude, Giant fans, we've been through the last like almost decade other than the 2016 season of sucking and being embarrassing. I could take one more year to get a 20-year run of a Patrick exactly. So that's I feel like that's a, a logical way to look at it. But I also understand why fans are like, no, I'm always going to root for my laundry. I, I get that too. But there is a 
weird universe where both those things can coexist. Sure. Like I think, and I'll, I'll put a bow on the Kenny Pickett stuff with this. I think his absolute ceiling would be someone like, I don't know who, like maybe like in terms of tiers, I think like somewhere in the like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins tier. I think that that is his absolute ceiling in terms of where he could get different types of players. I'm just talking in terms Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that his, his peak could be Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's a better comp. I think his I think absolute floor is, you know, like a case Keenum, like somewhere in there. So my podcast co-host and I, we host the big blue banter podcast. CBS is Dan Schneier. We've had this conversation so many times about Daniel Jones over the last three seasons. I can it's, only it's imagine. So funny. <laughs> it's so funny because literally it's like, what is the ceiling? The ceiling is more than likely. At least we said this a couple of years ago. Kirk Cousins at best is the ceiling. Like a more athletic version of that. Like mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill, I think, could be like the best ceiling for a player like Daniel Jones at right. this point. Because you know at this point of his career, does he have the the Justin Herbert intent or physical traits and stuff like that. And it's like, no, he might not. He can make all the NFL throws, but those guys are just different. And then like, I always question myself with, with all my takes and everything. I'm like, is it even fair to, to look at like some people and be like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, those guys are so unique. Like how many guys are actually playing at that level and have the mental capacity to know how to play quarterback? Um, one of, I can't remember exactly who put out the tweet. Um, but somebody was like, all right, if Kenny Pickett, like if you could guarantee that his peak would be like Andy Dalton's peak, would you be happy with that? And I couldn't come up with an answer. <laughs> like, cool, right? Yeah, because, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they were perennial, like most of the time, like, I mean, there was a year where the Bengals started 8-0 with Andy Dalton. Um, and they, they never got far in the playoffs with him, but they were constantly there. And look, if you look at the Steelers, past decade in the playoffs they haven't gotten very far aside from you know the AFC championship game appearance in a 2017 i believe is when they made it there but aside from that i mean they've only got a couple playoff wins since they last appeared in the super bowl so i mean really you know how much different would that be so yeah it's it's a slippery slope we play as fans um but i think for people like you and i who cover the game and try to look at it as the most unbiased way possible it's definitely like and i and i like the point that you made it's hard to be able to like Okay, is he going to be Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert? Then no, he sucks. I think that, you know, if you can find a guy that's going to be like, okay, he can be Dak Prescott. That's great. That's fantastic. By the way, I like Dak Prescott a lot. I don't know how you feel about Dak. I think Dak Prescott's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. And I think it's mostly between his ears. He doesn't have like the the biggest arm or anything. He's not the most fleet of foot quarterback. But he's so quick at diagnosing and processing defense pre to post snap. And we saw it just a couple of weeks ago on Thanksgiving, whenever Wink Martindale wanted to try to blitz him. It's just boom. He knows exactly where to go with the football, knows how to throw hot. And uh, Giant fans, like, they typically don't like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And I kind of felt this way about Tony Romo, too, especially when I you know, grew a little bit older and I started understanding football from a different perspective. I was like, dude, that guy's great. I don't really yeah. care that he didn't have the most playoff success where well, he doesn't have a Super Bowl. He's so much fun to watch and you just start to appreciate the little things about his game. And I feel like Dak Prescott's another quarterback similar to that. So I think that's actually a really interesting and good name that you brought up for this conversation. Can he be Dak Prescott? And if he can, it's like that's somebody that you can build around and grow. And if you surround him with the right pieces, he could take you to the promised land. Now, with saying that, I do not want Dak Prescott to take the Dallas Cowboys to the promised land because I don't really like the Dallas Cowboys at all. I think that that's I think that that's kind of the parameter that more fans should look at. Like, okay, can this guy be good? 
serviceable. Like Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott's more than serviceable. And I agree with you. I think that Dak is very underrated. I think he gets more crap that he deserves. Um, so, uh, you know, when fans like see a guy get drafted and it's always annoying to me too, whenever like somebody, you know, gets drafted and his comp is like, Oh, this guy's Patrick Mahomes. Like, no, he's not like there was a lot of that with Zach Wilson coming out uh, yeah. because they saw how big his arm was. Oh, he's going to be Josh Allen. Oh, well, no, clearly no, he's not. Um, so I think that people just need to be more realistic with, okay, this guy can be a really good quarterback without being, you know, Christ in cleats. And I think <laughs> that's what we need to, to look at more of as fans, but um, we do have a big slate ahead of us, and we'll touch a little bit on um, the more important games. You brought up Detroit and Minnesota. We'll start there. Uh, the Lions at home are point and a half favorites over the Minnesota Vikings. I gotta tell you, man, I'm picking the Lions to win. I might pick them to cover. Why the hell not? Um, Minnesota's a fun team. I, I already touched on. I like the Vikings. I think that you know Kirk Cousins has been. We don't talk about on like underappreciated quarterbacks. I think that Kirk has been. Uh, one of those guys that gets a lot of crap for you know as much production that, as he's given over the past half decade. Um, that said, um, Minnesota, especially on defense, like Ed Donatel's defense is just not not good. So uh, a Detroit Lions offense that sneakily puts up a lot of points, I think that this is going to be a game that they win at home like, over the Minnesota Vikings, who, by the way, they beat last year to get their first win at home. Um, so this will be maybe a fun little rehashing of that. What say you? Yeah, I don't know if if I was betting the game, I might even bet the Vikings. I'm getting plus. I'm just getting plus odds on it. So mm-hmm. like, I think I would just lean in that direction. But if you ask me, who do you think is going to win the game? Not be shocked at all if the Detroit Lions pull this game out of their rear end. I mean, think about it, man. Their run defense and their defense in general, it was terrible in the beginning of the year, but it's kind of stabilized, and they've been able to stop some some bigger running backs. And I also look at the matchup from uh, when Minnesota and Detroit played in the beginning of the year. Jeffrey Okuda, he did a solid job against Justin Jefferson, but he did such a solid job that I had to go back to the tape and I saw that they were just shadowing just uh, safety over the top every single time he had safety help. So I was like, all right, Jeff Okuda, let's slow down a little bit. But stopping Justin Jefferson is going to be difficult. I think the X factor in this game is one of my favorite players in the National Football League. That is the sun god himself. Amon Ross St. Brown coming out of the slot. You can just align him everywhere. I just, I love that kid as a player. I loved him when he was at USC. And I think just the open or the middle of the field is more than likely going to be open against Minnesota's defense. And Jared Goff could have a really good game here as well. So I, that's where I would lean. I, if I had to pick one and it didn't have anything to do with betting, I, I think I might go with the Lions. I like the trajectory and how they've been playing football. The Giants learned that a couple of weeks ago when they got their asses kicked by them. So, yeah, uh, that, that's probably where I would lean. But if I'm betting, man, I might just take those odds on a team like Minnesota who, I mean, they're they're not like, it's crazy though, man. Minnesota won what? Like nine, nine games this season of like one possession games? Like a couple they of are, They are nine and zero in one possession games. It's insane. Like that type of efficiency, you could say that's what good teams are supposed to do. But we know the NFL is filled with a lot of uh, competent football, you know, like football coaches, football players. A couple of those games flip, a couple of the Detroit tough losses flip, and that division could look completely different right now. Yeah, you mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown, two touchdowns last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, in which they put up a 40 burger on Jacksonville. Uh, Jared Goff, too, by the way, if you go football outsiders uh, in terms of DYAR, distant yards above replacement, he's third in the NFL. Like quietly, Jared Goff has had a very good year. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this Lions offense and that fantastic offensive line. Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams might score 20 touchdowns this year, by the way. He's at 14 right now. So they've been a very fun group to watch. 
They have been. And another thing about Jared Goff, his stats might not look that sexy, but Jamal Williams has 14 touchdowns right now. Yeah. Why does Jamal Williams have 14 touchdowns right now? Because Amon Ross St. Brown gets tackled at the one yard line and all exactly. those damn games. And everybody's <laughs> like, all right, yep, bring him in. That's like, uh, is there anything more just like certain than Jamal Williams scoring from the one this season? Like, I, I think that it's become like, you know, once kind of like what Jerome Bettis was to the Steelers. Like, okay, yep, we're at the two, send him in. Come on. <laughs> well, that's yeah, six points. Here we go. So, Easy money, and that offensive line is just so good at the point. Ungodly good, ungodly yeah. good. So I, I do like Detroit in this game, and I think it's going to be just because the Vikings and Lions never play a normal football game. It's absolutely one that I'm going to have on one of my TVs this Sunday. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, the Bills are ten point favorites against the New York Jets at home. Um, the Jets, I don't know, man. Like, what, what's your take on the Jets? I think that, you know, people, they have a great defense, but I think people kind of jumped on that Mike White train a little bit too hard and too quickly. Um, there's a reason that he's a third-string quarterback. Um, I, I, I don't think that you look at the Jets' schedule, I think they fall out of the playoff picture. I think, like, a, a team like New England or the Chargers take that spot from them. Um, and Buffalo, when healthy, to me, is the best team in football. What, what's your take on the Jets and uh, on this game as a whole? On this game as a whole, I think Buffalo is going to win this football game. I think they're looking for some uh, some sweet revenge against the New York Jets from the last game that they played against each other. And uh, that was back when Zach Wilson was there. The Zach Wilson thing, that's an absolute disaster. This, I like Mike White as a as a redemption story, I guess. Like, you're coming back. He has some good tape. He makes some really wow throws. And he has just incredible playmakers. Like, he has really good playmakers that he can get the football into their hands, and they could do anything with it. Like, Garrett Wilson could be, you know, a top 10 top five wide receiver at some point in the near future. He has that much within his body, right? So in terms of this game, I'm going to go with the Bills. In terms of long-term, if I'm a Jet fan, I'm ecstatic. I mean, the Jets have been more pathetic than the Giants have in recent memory, and yeah. you seem like you have a very good roster. And I think Sauce Gardner is going to be just like the next like Champ Bailey type of guy, right? Like that's high praise, but I think he's going to be the type of cornerback that teams are going to look at and be like, well, he might just lock down your number one guy and you have to look somewhere else. I think their defensive system is, is solid under under Salah, who is also has all these pass rushers at his disposal now. So I like the direction of the Jets, but I kind of on the same train as you, I'm not 100% certain if they'll lock out the lock up the wild card spot with their schedule and we'll have to wait and see. I think Mike White could get exposed eventually. That's what happened last year. He came out and what did he yeah. throw for like four touchdowns against yeah, he threw for like 900 yards and eight touchdowns against the Bengals or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think like now with more tape and stuff like that, teams might be able to take advantage of Mike White. We'll have to wait and see, but overall I think they're respectable. And if I'm a jet fan, I'm happy right now with the direction of the team, similar to the giants. If anything, I might just tease this down and have Buffalo minus four. Um, if you're a, if you're a betting person, maybe consider that in terms of a, a little teaser parlay. Uh, Tyler Huntley versus Kenny Pickett. We do not need to spend a lot of time on this. I'm betting the under. Um, in Pittsburgh, the Steelers are one-two straight. The first time that they've done that all season long. Uh, Lamar Jackson considered week to week with that knee. Um, so yeah, this is going to be it's going to be cold in Acrisure. It's going to be a defensive game. The final score is going to be something stupid like 13 to 11. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> Everything like as a Steelers fan, I'm going to watch it, but it's just going to be tons of punts. It's going to be like a big 10 football game. That's what I'm expecting this week for, for Baltimore and Pittsburgh. It's going to be an AFC North football game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that big 10 football and AFC North football are, are similes at this point. Although um, Cincinnati uh, is debunking that. And obviously the Steelers yeah. back when they had a B that was a very exciting time for offensive football and powerhouse type of, um, 
draw your eyeballs to it, which Big yeah. Ten football, no offense to it, doesn't really catch your eyeballs like the <laughs> SEC. And speaking of, I mean, we got all four AFC North teams playing each other this week. The Browns have seemed to have the Bengals number over the past few weeks. Um, Sean Watson coming back last week didn't play a great game. Um, let's see if Cincinnati can avenge that Monday night embarrassment on Halloween from earlier this season. They are five and a half point favorites against the Cleveland Browns. They are coming off consecutive wins over the Tennessee Titans and Kansas City Chiefs, two very good wins. Uh, for the Bengals to kind of cement that, hey, we're still here. Um, I love what I'm seeing from Cincinnati. Love what I'm seeing from Joe Burrow. The fact that they were able to have so much success without Jamar Chase. Um, this is a team that's going to be very viable going forward. I think that they are right in the mix of being in the Super Bowl bubble. Um, but like I said, Cleveland's given them a little bit of trouble. We'll see if Nick Chubb um, can continue having the year that he has had. Cincinnati's run defense has become very uh, a lot better since DJ Reader got back against Tennessee. So this is going to be a fun matchup to watch. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think it's what Joe Burrow hasn't beaten Cincinnati yet, right? I mean, has he not beaten the Browns in his career? I'll have to look at that. I haven't seen uh, the numbers on that. I'm just trying to remember it off the top of my head. I don't think he has. And I'm I'm sure he probably missed a game uh, during his rookie season. Yeah, during the ACL injury. So he's going to be, and there's few teams that are hotter than than the Cincinnati Bengals right now, right? So they're trending at the right time. You know they have an axe to grind after that Halloween loss that you brought up, which was on prime time. So I'm expecting the Bengals to to put it to them. And Sean Watson looked horrible last week. Look, he hasn't played football in over like 700 days or something like that, right? So like it's been quite a while. You have Amari Cooper pop up on the injury report now. He might play, but he has some sort of hip issue. I think he had how many? Didn't he have like a 40% target share or something ridiculous last week? Yeah, it's been Amari Cooper bust for the for the Browns passing game as of late. Yeah, especially with Deshaun Watson. So I um I'm gonna go Bengals here. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the largest line of the week by a country mile is uh, the Dallas Cowboys are 17 and a half point favorites. They're laying almost 18 points to the Houston Texans. Um, granted, um, it looks like Brandon Cooks is out for this game. Kyle Allen is the starting quarterback for the Texans. Like it's just a dumpster fire in Houston. They are playing for Bryce Young at this point. And you know what? Tip of the cap to him. Why not? Um, I don't know, man. Do you think they cover this? I feel like they should. No, I think they get blown out. I think Davis Mills is actually the starting quarterback now. Oh, do they and move it back to Davis Mills? Or are I they just playing hot potato with this? Yeah, poor Davis Mills, man. It's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Kyle Allen sucked. You get thrown to the wolves against that other Texas team <laughs> with no Brandon Cooks and no Nico Collins. So he's throwing the football like Philip Dorsett and guys like Jordan Akins. They're going to roll out there in like 12, 13 personnel. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you doing this Sunday, Nick? Because you and I might have a chance to, to suit up the Houston <laughs> out wide. Jeez, I would get my, I would get murdered by those guys, man. <laughs> Dallas is like, I have a lot of respect for, for Dan Quinn. He's actually from like my hometown, I guess, kind of like I grew up like right outside there and I live there in Morristown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I, I always had respect for Dan Quinn just as a football mind as well. But man, did they hit the lottery getting Micah Parsons? Like I'm, I'm bitter Very about that. So. And I loved Micah Parsons coming out of that draft. And I knew that Dave Gettleman was not going to select him. They wanted to get a playmaker. They wanted Devonta Smith. And then the Cowboys and Eagles traded to jump the Giants. How funny. I mean, maybe not for you, but from me watching that, I was like, wow, they really just pulled off an interdivision trade just to spite the Giants, didn't they? My goodness. Yeah, despite the Giants, and also it works out for Dallas. Dallas knew that the Giants weren't going to go for Micah Parsons, and they knew the Eagles wanted to trade up to get Devonta Smith. And I like the fact that the Giants traded back, right, because they got Evan Neal eventually. But holy crap, Jared. Kadarius, Tony's not even on the team anymore. No, he's not. (laughs) So no, it's just, he is not. And and all pros like Rashawn Slater and Micah Parsons went after. It's it's whatever, man. 
Um, Dallas, I mean, we talk about the Cowboys. They scored 33 points in the fourth quarter against the Colts after playing with their food for the first three quarters. Um, defensively, I mean, they've got stars at all three levels with Lawrence Parsons and Trevon Diggs. Um, they, uh, I know that some people, myself included have said, uh, you know, they're, they're still the same old Cowboys until proven otherwise. When you look at how wide open the NFC is, I, if they don't make it to minimal, like if they're not facing the Eagles in the NFC championship game, which I think will be the matchup that there's something wrong there. And the, with this talent on that team, the, a playoff win is an absolute must for them this year. You know, what would be excellent though. If somehow the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, after what they did on Monday night football, they're able to win that just atrocious division known as the NFC South. And they host the playoff game against Dallas and somehow Tom Brady just ends up beating him. Like, I don't see how it could happen, how pathetic Tampa Bay has looked, but it's Tom Brady. He's done stuff like this in the past, not against the New York Giants, of course, but he has done stuff like this in the past. So, so if there's any, if there's any, if that would be the ultimate thing for everybody in the NFC, the NFC East that is not a Cowboy fan, is if they lose in the wildcard round to the winner of the NFC South. Ugh, that's, that would be so great. Let, let's play a game real quick, because let's say that that does happen. Is Mike McCarthy there next year? Because I think that they fire him and just make a bolt for Sean Payton. Yeah, I don't know. If I'm Sean Payton, too, because depending on how the Chargers finish this season, he yeah. might he might have some options. And Plus, he's already living in L.A. doing TV. Like, that would just yeah. that would work out perfectly. And you get him. to work with Justin Herbert. As much as oh, I think yeah. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback, like, what you could do with Justin Herbert is, like, that'd be insane. And yeah. I don't know if Joe Lombardi would be kept there. I know he used to work under... Yeah, I was going to say, you know, he used to be the OC for yeah. Sean Payton, so there's... That would be an interesting dynamic to to say the least. But if if you're Dallas and you you're like <laughs> Jerry Jones, like now Sean, whatever Los Angeles offers you, I'm willing, <laughs> I, I'm willing to double it for the Dallas Cowboys. That's like, not bad, I, right there. I, I I try. I low key do impressions <laughs> on the side. You know, I'll send you videos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I try. Um, I would be the the bidding war for Sean Payton is going to be something very fun to watch, especially if Dallas is a one and done in the playoffs. So that that'll yeah. be something to keep an eye out on. Um, it's almost Bay, to a point where I don't want that to happen though, because I don't want Sean Payton to go to Dallas. Oh no! If you're a Giants fan, you want you kind of I, I feel like you might want the Cowboys to to make a little bit of a move just so Sean Payton stays the hell away. Yeah, go to the Chargers, man. Don't go to Dallas. Sean exactly. Payton always exactly. had after. He always hated the Giants, man, because the Giants parted ways with him and they went mm. into another direction and hired Tom Coughlin. And remember back on like Monday Night Football, Joe Horn scored that touchdown, whipped the phone out and everything yeah. like that. And it just always seems like whenever Sean Payton had the ability to put his foot on the pedal, he always did. I mean, geez, there was a game where Drew Brees, I mean, this game it was warranted, but remember the game where Drew Brees and Eli Manning combined for like 13 touchdowns? Oh, passes? yeah. What was that? It was like 2011? 15. 2015. Good Lord. I don't know. Eli Manning was doing that in 2015. I think it was. It might have been 14, but either way. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. What was the final score of that game? No idea. It was like 58 I, to like, it was, or 53 <laughs> to like 49 or something. It was one of the highest scoring games in NFL history. I do, I knew, do you know that? That was, yeah, that was fun. Um, we talked about Tom Brady. He is, he's three and a half point underdog to Brock Purdy uh, this Sunday, uh, which is fun. Um, going to San Francisco, a place where, I mean, the, depending on what happens, he could call home next year. Um, 49ers defense, I think the best in football right now, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch in terms of how bet the under in this game, which is 37 and a half. That's all I will say. I don't see Brock Purdy putting up a ton of points. Uh, and I don't see this very stagnant 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense who had three points against the Saints until like four minutes left in the fourth quarter going buck wild on the 49ers. So this will be a low scoring game. Um, hard to bet against Tom Brady here. Like Brock Purdy's a fun story, but I just don't see San Francisco coming out on top here. I kind of think San Francisco might. I don't know, man. This is tough. Tom Brady, there's a lot of narratives, right? Tom Brady's going back home. He's from San Francisco. I think that defense is just going to harass him. Like Rashad White and Leonard Fournette might have like 25 targets at the end of this game. It's <laughs> going to be dump so off, dump off, dump off, dump off. Yep. It's going to be that and Chris Godwin, and then maybe a couple shots when they're in like seven man protection to uh, to Mike Evans because it's going to be tough, man. And I think Nick Bosa popped up on the injury report, but I'm I think I heard that he was playing. I'm not really. Uh, yeah, I think he's playing. But that is just a, such a such a dynamic defense, such a good defense. So. The Brock Brock Brady. Brady is a special player too, as well, man. Like he is just yeah. head and shoulders above every other inside linebacker in football right now. Makes me so angry because we liked him coming out of the draft, coming out of what BYU. Yeah. And I think the Giants took North Carolina State defensive lineman BJ Hill, who I liked, who's on the Bengals now, over him. And that Giants could really use a linebacker right now. Yeah, they very much could. Um, that'll be that's in the late afternoon window. So that'll be one to pay attention to. Um Twitter is going to just go straight to hell on the Sunday night matchup. It's just going to be take after take after take in the take wars with Tua Tungavailoa against Justin Herbert uh, in Los Angeles. Chargers are three and a half point dogs at home to the Dolphins who are coming off that defeat of the San Francisco 49ers. Tua Tungavailoa throwing two interceptions last week. Uh, and you know the Dolphins, you know, somewhat, for lack of a better term, got a little bit exposed, I think, uh, offensively. Um, good news for... The, for the Dolphins is that the uh, the Chargers defense, I mean, if they suited up you and I, we could run for five bucks a clip. Like they are they are not good at stopping the run, so expect some stuff from Raheem Mostert. I would expect Mike McDaniel to just have Mostert, Wilson, just everybody send the house in terms of the run game, set up play action, uh, and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are going to each get a bomb in this game. Um, I do think that the Dolphins bounce back and win just because Chargers defensively are just a mess. They are, and I think a lot of it, though, I'd be more confident in the Dolphins if Teron Armstead plays the left tackle. I'm not. That is something to pay attention to in terms of the Chargers' pass rush. Yeah, that that's that's a big thing. I think I saw Derwin James isn't going to play in this game, which is obviously a huge knock. Don't quote me on that. I think I saw that come across the timeline. But it, this is going to be an exciting game, finally, right? I mean, I feel like we've had solid games in prime time. Like last night's game was just insane. It looked yeah. like it was going to be gross up until Baker Mayfield did like one of the most miraculous things I think I've ever seen watching football. But I, I'm looking forward to that Sunday night game. Those are two high-powered offenses, two quarterbacks who were drafted in the same draft class that have a lot of narratives around them people yeah. being like justin herbert to it it's so crazy man so many people hated justin herbert coming out of college because he played in like a horizontally yeah. based offense at at oregon and they didn't really they didn't really allow him to sling the football down the field but the arm talent was always there and i think it's going to be a, a pretty fun matchup I, I just hope that uh i would like for Toronto armstead to be there to, to see exactly um if they could keep him upright because Tua, I don't know the last couple of weeks I've tuned into the dolphins games and I've seen him get bent backwards like two or three times. Like that's not something you want to see. From yeah. He had that scary hit that he took against the Texans where he just got literally bent in half and everybody's like, Oh my God. Yeah. But he, he escaped injury there. Um, yeah, man, like with the dolphins, like you, you obviously want them to be hundred percent healthy just, just to see, you know, especially in this game, how they can fare, you know, against solid teams. Um, however, if that's what they look like without Teron Armstead, then there's reason to be concerned, especially if he's going to be absent long term. 
Um, and if something happens in the playoffs where, you know, they're going to be without him or Austin Jackson or both where they just get completely exposed up front. So that is something to definitely pay attention to. 2013 first overall pick Eric Fisher was just signed by them, yes, right? Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. So, is he actually looking like he could play? Oh, hell, dude. Uh, at this point, you know, after what we saw against the 49ers, I think that any option is on the table for the Dolphins right now. So we'll uh, we'll see. Um, that's They should have made some sort of depth move in the offseason after they signed a, a left tackle who's had a, an extensive injury history. Um, but, you know, better late than never, I suppose, uh, when it comes down to, to them signing Eric Fisher. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see what else are the bigger ones we can touch on before we get you out of here uh, we'll touch on Kansas City Denver just because the Chiefs um, mm-hmm. you know, looking to bounce back this game's in Denver uh, uh, the Broncos haven't beaten the Chiefs since like the Clinton administration or something like that uh, it's been it's been a while <laughs> um, Chiefs um, laying nine and a half against the Broncos who I don't know man the Broncos are horrible um it's so uh, it's so gross to watch it really so is bad. and you know what man on a human level i feel like i don't feel bad for nathaniel hackett because like you're getting paid a lot of money and you're just like floundering you're not doing yeah. your job but like think about it from like this is this guy's opportunity he's never getting another opportunity to be a head coach oh, and no. it, it didn't just go bad it went horrendously it's terrible it's gross you're the laughing stock of the entire league right now and you're going to get canned at the end of the year. Russell Wilson, you can't get rid of him until 2025. You're stuck with this guy. Yeah. You need to bring in an offense that's he's more comfortable with to try to revitalize this absolute mess. I feel bad for Cortland Sutton, who's not going to play in this game. Jerry Judy might be on a pitch count. The only kid I look at is like Greg Dolchik. Maybe you can like showcase him and it can give your fans like something like, oh, at least we got Greg Dolchik on our team. Because right now it's disgusting, bro. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, I was listening to the Ringer podcast um, and Steven Ruiz was kind of saying the same things you were like, yeah, they're probably tied to him for another three years, but let's just play devil's advocate. And like, what if they just say, you know what, we'll eat a hundred million dollars of dead cap next season because it's better to suck for one year rather than to suck for five. And we'll just start anew and like stroll out like, I don't even know who, who their quarterback option would be at that point, but we'll just commit this. Brett will just commit to Brett Rippon for a year. Will be horrible, and then we'll draft Caleb Williams. But there are worse ideas. I guess there are worse ideas. It's just really hard to sell that to your fan base, right? Oh, like absolutely. That- I totally get it. Like when you a move like that says we are mailing in this season. We are absolutely not caring. We are playing for twenty twenty four. Go Trojans! Like that and, is that is what the message would be. And Denver is one of the chillest cities in the world. Like they're all just like smoking weed, having. Yeah, a good say, they're all high out of their minds and don't care. So, but like I think there would be so much bitterness between Russell Wilson or with the the sit the uh, patrons of that city and Russell Wilson that even through the highness of these people they would be like, no man, you're not allowed back here. Like, could you imagine committing that much to this guy, trading all those assets away? And then you get rid of him after one year because yeah. it was that bad. I think you, you got to start small with baby steps. Just get rid of the coach and hopefully somebody else can come in and, and fix that mess. I mean, worst case scenario, like let's say they hire from within their defensive coordinator whose name is escaping me right now, um, but that they really like. And if they don't renew him in terms of like making him the head coach, he's probably going elsewhere and taking some other job. Um, and if he finds somebody, that is good in terms of offensive coordinator and quarterback coach that can kind of turn this ship around and the Broncos go like nine and eight 
maybe make a wild card, then great. You know, if you're a Broncos fan, you take that. Worst case, like if they if it continues, then I don't know how much they'd be on the books for if they got rid of Russell Wilson after next year. But if they're bad and they're bad enough where they can maybe compete to try to get Caleb Williams, if they can, you know, make some other move, then you're kind of like, all right, you know what? It's not a hundred million dollars that we'd be eating. It's still a lot of money that we would be eating, but it's not as bad. I don't know how much Atlanta, uh, in terms of their dead cap for trading Matt Ryan. I know it was an absurd amount of money. I don't know how much. I, would have I, don't, to think think I don't think it's comparable, but I don't have the numbers ahead of yeah. me. Man, we've seen a lot of teams just trade dead cap, like the Rams. Yeah, and- the Rams and Eagles both did it with Wentz and Goff, and I think that they were both like just over thirty million. So it's and the, and the Rams too, Jared. They signed Todd Gurley to a deal, and the Dude. guy never played a snap on the deal. How insane is that? Yeah, that that entire the Rams are so fascinating in that regard because. You know, they've gone to two Super Bowls over the past five years. And you look at the personnel for both of those games, different quarterback, different running backs, different receivers. Like they have just like Les Snead and Sean McVay have just figured something out where they can just kind of have a revolving door of guys. And it's been fascinating to watch. I don't kudos to them for being able to do that. But that that is absolutely astounding. It's a much different approach, and I I, I kind of like it because it, it's not I don't know how sustainable it is or if it would work all the time, but the Rams deviated from what everybody else was doing. Everyone else like give us picks, give us picks. They're like, mm, nah, you know, we'll trade our picks. We just want veteran players. Howie Roseman has been doing that for a while. Has yeah, been very the infamous, uh, the infamous uh, less need fuck them picks. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's worked. I mean, they got their Super Bowl. They're gonna be bad maybe for the foreseeable future because they don't have those picks but a lot of teams would trade a super bowl for maybe a couple years of mediocrity they would do it again in a heartbeat if it meant that they would get a super bowl yeah and the crazy thing about it is that they went from being a team who's on top of the world you know kind of looking at like we did it our way and we just won the super bowl to now they could realistically see matthew stafford aaron donald and sean McVay all not be on the team next year and that is absolutely insane and then at that point, like Bobby Wagner, what's the point of staying? Like exactly. Jalen Ramsey for whatever. Say, Jalen Ramsey wouldn't wouldn't want to stay through that either. Like that would be, it, w- it would be very interesting to see how they could turn it around and how long it would take because they don't have a first round pick till like twenty ninety seven or something like that. So, it you would do it again, like I said, because you know the whole point of this is to get Super Bowls, and they got one, and they would do it again in a heartbeat, but. We're seeing what happens when, you know, the uh, the stars and scrubs mentality uh, of building a roster, you know, when the stars go down, they don't have any depth. No depth whatsoever. And it's so apparent too, just looking over the roster. Nick Filato, hey, I'm, I'm glad that we did this. Uh, anything that you would like to plug before we get you on out of here? Yeah, Jared, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You guys can check me out on Twitter. It's just at Nick Filato. That's N-I-C-K-F-A-L-A. T O and you can find my written work at bigblueview.com where I also have a podcast at Big Blue View Radio. And then my other podcast with CBS's Dan Schneier. It's called Big Blue Banter. It's part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We go over the X's and O's, the all 22, and we discuss everything New York Giants. Awesome. Love to see it. Are you going to be in Mobile for the for the senior bowl? I haven't made that choice yet. I haven't made that. It's a long flight to get to Mobile. I was going to say, you said you're you're in Arizona, right? I am in Arizona, yeah. So but, your, uh, connect, your connecting flight would be, what, Houston then? Probably. Yeah. Colorado, maybe. I'm not sure what maybe. the um, 
depending on who I know Sky Harbor, our airport out here is in a is an American hub. So mm-hmm. I don't really know um which airports to connect to. I just know so much about that kind of stuff because my girlfriend is a is a pilot for United. So really no more about United. Yo, know, she's in school right now to to become that's a pilot sick. for United. I know. That's why we're out here. That's why. I mean, I'm a Jersey guy. I'm East Coast. I look like I'm from Arizona. You know, like, no, I'm an Italian living out here in Goodyear, Arizona, because we moved out here because her flight school's out here. That's sick. That's very cool. Yeah. But uh, thanks, Jarrett, for having me. And also, yeah. uh, Have you been to Mobile before? Yeah, I went in 2021. I didn't go this past year just because the finances didn't add up. But yeah, this will be. Yeah, I'll be going. I was there in 2020 was the last Mm. time I was there. And then I was there for like the five years prior to that. It's a fun trip. Um, I was there in like the the year like after COVID, so it was still like a little bit you know restricted and whatnot uh, in terms of what we can do. So this will be like my first big mobile experience. But yes, I will I will be there. So I hope to see you there. And if if you are, I'm sure uh, I'll be jealous of both your hair and your ability to grow just a perfect beard. Um, <laughs> Thank we'll, you. Uh, Oh, of course. Uh, I'm always handing out compliments on the show. <laughs> um, that makes me that to value the compliment. <laughs> exactly. 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but yes, good talking to you. I'm glad that we finally did this. Uh, yes. Go follow Nick Falato on Twitter at Nick Falato, F-A-L-A-T-O. In terms of my written work, uh, Justin Fields uh, film piece, if this is coming out tonight, will be out Saturday. So if you're listening to this on Saturday, go check that out on USA Today. And then uh, why Baker Mayfield didn't work out in Carolina. That's on Sports Illustrated. So go check out all of those. Nick, I appreciate your brother. We'll definitely do this again soon. Everybody listening, watching on YouTube, however you're taking it in, we appreciate you for making us part of your day. Talk to you soon. Enjoy week 14. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.